Welcome, everybody, to our ongoing Night Club interview series, where my guest today is really our first repeat guest, Yusuf Alhur. Our first conversation was just so rich, we had to bring him back. So in this conversation, we finally discuss Islamic dream work in detail and what that really means. Boy, in this one, we cover a tremendous amount of material and a great variety. We talk about things like how dreams are one fortieth of prophecy in the Muslim tradition, how that when you actually go deep into the dream, it's not just solipsistic, it's not just merely your mind, but you're actually touching into something that's as real ontologically as this world. We talk about precognitive dreams, how dreams can help us understand the nature of reality, and also Yusuf's really interesting term, enter, entering the internet of consciousness, where we can communicate with other beings. We discuss the idea of imaginal worlds, of the archetypes that exist in the realm of the dream. And then the conversation turns to the promise and peril of things like tradition altogether. How that if we don't have influx of new ideas, no tributaries, tradition can get stale and even die. We talk about the, uh, the idea of trans-religion, inner sanghas, the golden cage, and just a tremendous amount of material, including transhumanism, how that works, and a variety of other topics. So join us once again for this really rich conversation with our friend Yusuf. Hello, everybody. Andrew Holacek here. And I am so thrilled to have my dear friend Yusuf Alhur back with us. This is the first repeat interview that we've had on Nightclub. So um, wonderful to inaugurate this with my dear friend. And as previously, I, I will reiterate uh, his remarkable kind of biography, introduction, and then we're going to jump in, um, picking up and extending where we left off back in September of this year. So um, Yusuf Alhur was born in Luxembourg in a Portuguese working class immigrant family. He developed a deep interest for comparative religions and mysticism since his teenage years when he started practicing meditation. He completed two separate master's degrees in Indo-Iranian studies and in French and comparative literature at the Sorbonne University in Paris before doing his PhD in religious studies at the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London on Sikhism. He taught at various universities, London, Toronto, Karachi, and his main research interests are Islamic mysticism and philosophy, Islamic art, the relations, the relations between Islamic, Christian, and Indic forms of mysticism. And while working on his publications, he's also presently training in Arabic calligraphy and Middle Eastern music. And uh, he sent me some of his calligraphy uh, electronically, and it's stunningly beautiful. So, Yusuf, my dear friend, so nice to hear from you from Baghdad again this morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us again. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, always a delight. Absolutely. And, and uh, boy, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, last time your conversation and exposition on Islam um, and Sufism was so rich that we just had to run with it. You, you provided this fantastic platform. But now we can turn to um, really the heart of our initial correspondence with each other, which is this remarkable um, kind of confluence of thinking and practices associated with the nocturnal practices. And, and I wanted to start with 
again, a lot of this is what you have sent to me in, in this completely um, rich set of correspondences where I'm, I'm learning things I have never um, learned before about uh, uh, the Islamic tradition. And so I want to start with one line that you sent to me, and then, oh my gosh, we have so much to go through here. You were kind enough to share this line from the Prophet Muhammad where, my eyes are asleep, but my heart is awake. And then you, I remember you wrote to me about how it is that um, in a certain sense, lucidity can be seen as a metric, such a dangerous term in spirituality, isn't it? To realization. But let's just jump right in. Um, there's so much to cover here. You know, the, anywhere you want to start with this, the, the place of lucid dreaming, dream yoga, these nocturnal practices within uh, Islam. Let's just dive right in and see where this takes us. Yes, uh, you know, surprisingly enough, um, I mean, given given the fact that unfortunately, you know, for the last 150 years, Islam has become so politicized, and um, you know, much of the mystical tradition has to ha has had to go underground, uh, and so people don't know, um, you know, even in Muslim countries, don't know much about these things anymore. Uh, dreams actually form a, a very important part of the um, of the Islamic tradition. Um, and it's of course something that is not just unique to 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 to, to Islam. I mean, but but um, but it seems that um, you know, I mean, in in, in of course in, in in the biblical traditions, right? So in, in in especially in Judaism and and well, and at least in the texts themselves, right? Um, of, of, of the foundational texts of Christianity as well. You know, dreams form a very you know are a you know, very important in, in the sense that they um, dreams are the realm through which you know God communicate communicates to to to, to humanity. Um, you know, very often. I mean, just think of the um, you know the, the uh, for example, uh, Jacob, or uh, even in the New Testament, several dreams that you know that that um, you know give warnings to the the Holy Family about you know the, the um, incoming persecution. That uh, that endangers the life of, of of Jesus. So so dreams are very important, and and it's it's also you find even in the Bible you have these these references to to you know to people having um, prophetic dreams as a sign of the, you know the coming of of, of of the kingdom of God. So in a sense, Islamic tradition you know already um, has I mean because it ha it is an Abrahamic tradition, it has its um, it has you know. A lot of the the dream traditions, you know, in Islam have roots in that as well. But what's really interesting is that in Islamic mysticism, the the, the dream practices um, take on a, a a a very important role. What's really interesting beyond um, you know beyond that fact itself is that in the realm of Islamic studies. Uh, that aspect has, has actually not really been, um, you know, has not been really studied properly. What, what I mean by that is that, um, you know, you have Tibetan Buddhism that has an amazing, you know, dream yoga tradition, and it's, um, and it's, you know, in, in Tibetan studies at an academic level, it's taken seriously to the point where you have uh, people not only, you know, Take these uh, practices seriously, but, but but also engage in this, you know, dialogue with 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 you know with um, medical science and, and psychology. Mm -hmm. 
But then you have, you know, Islamic studies and you have these amazing texts that talk, you know, that are very often dream journals of great Sufi masters. And what's really disappointing is a lot of scholars of Islamic studies um, don't ask the question of like, you know, what are the, what exactly are these dreams? You know, it's, um, you know, um, it's very difficult to find people who actually, you know, look into um, or even know about, um, you know, lucid dreaming. Um, and, and so very often the texts that one finds about, you know, dreams in Islam are um, a sort of, you know, uh, the type of narrative one, one finds in academia about dreams in Islam is, okay, such and such has had this interesting dream. It's a nice narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, you know, at the, very, at the very most, you'll have something like, okay, um, something like uh, books on dream interpretation. But at, at no point uh, is there an attempt to take these, um, these practices actually really seriously. And I think that also has to do with the fact that much of Western Islamic studies has been dedicated to finding out who the good and the bad Muslims are, mm. rather than taking the you know the the the, um, the 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 islamic tradition uh you know seriously as you know at um for for what for what it is right with its complexities and 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 its um you know and and its very complicated history so to go back to the practices themselves um the, the, this um this hadith or what you know the uh, this, this saying of the prophet that you uh, that you just mentioned um, yes, it, it, so it seems that basically um, this ability to remain lucid, even in a state of you know deep sleep, mm. um, is, uh, is is seen as a one of the signs of uh, spiritual realization and of prophecy. Mm. And in fact, there are other sayings of the prophet that state that, for example, um, prophecy. Uh, sorry, that dreams are one fortieth uh, or one uh, fortieth part of prophecy itself. How beautiful! Uh, and, and that, and that, and therefore, you know, dreams are—they're um, not just seen as these sort of random, you know, ramblings of the mind, but they're seen as, you know, these, you know, these this platform that enables humanity to communicate with with other realms, right? And this is where the great uh, the great writers of Sufism have elaborated on on the nature of dreams uh, and the question of whether or not there is an independent uh, dream realm. Right, that's a very important question. Are we dealing here with subjective experiences, or are we dealing here with you know what? Um, I like this, the phrase that Alan Wallace uses, the uh, intersub- intersubjective realm, right? Yeah. Uh, something that actually exists beyond our own subjective um, perception. So they have yeah. asked these questions, right? And, and, and uh, so it, you have a whole very rich literature that uh, was, 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 uh, was created around this. And, uh, and then a whole classification of, you know, what type of dreams you have. And you know, interestingly enough, it's it's um, it's the t- same type of you know classification that I, I, you know I find in the literature on Tibetan um, dream yoga, which is that you have you have uh, one what one would call the uh, the carnal 
dreams or the dreams that come from the lower self, which are basically the, the expressions of your subconscious, of your of your passions, of your desires, and so and so forth. Um, and then you have the more you progress spiritually, then the nature of the dreams um, sort of sort of change, and then you have uh, dreams where you know. Um, where you have this sort of interaction between your own sort of subjective um, space and then that other uh, interpersonal realm that I'm going to talk about later, mm -hmm. and then you have these, you know, these these uh, these divine these divine uh, dreams, right? That you know give you very clear messages about you know you know that that solve problems in your life. Or uh, give you specific advice on your spiritual progress, or, or, or reveal to you certain 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 things, and then you have also satanic dreams, right? You have dreams that uh, that are the um, the um, the results of, um, of of demonic influence, because in the Islamic tradition, um, the um, evil is seen as uh, you know not just something that exists within us in a sort of you know metaphorical way, but you know, there, there actually is an external force out there that is uh, evil, and so these 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 sort of dreams exist as well. And very early on, there there is this there there, you know, there seems to be this insistence on on having, you know, a spiritual master who's there to be able to to be able to help you, uh, you know, interpret. Uh, dreams and and uh, but also instruct you on how to dream you know properly was really interesting and actually Charlie Morley talks about it in in in, in his book on on lucid dreaming um, and we have this you know of course in, in many of of, of, uh, of the hadith the, the 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 sayings of the prophet that the prophet actually had the habit um, of um, gathering his companions and asking them about their dreams. Hmm. So he would he would make it a, a habit of asking people you know what they dreamt, and and so it it, it seems very much that uh, you know dream practice seems to have to have been very important at least in the in the close circles of uh, of of the prophet that seems to have been very very important and um, you know so much so that certain dreams um, actually. Um, have a, a, a great deal of importance in terms of um, you know the events of the life of of, uh, of the prophet. Uh, so, um, for example, there's this thing in the Islamic tradition we call the adhan, the, the call to prayer, right? Um, you know, every every movie that you have about the Middle East, you, you always right. hear you know the so um, you know actually interestingly enough, like um, the 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 Exorcist begins with the Adhan and ends with the Adhan as well, and uh, it's the call to prayer, right? The call to prayer that says that you know God is um, great, uh, God is greater than you know anything created. That you know the, the Prophet Muhammad is his last messenger, and that people should you know hasten towards prayer because it's the it's the it's the best of uh, actions and so um the so the practice of of uh, the adhan goes actually back to a dream uh that one of the companions of the prophets uh, had because when the first islamic community was established they they had a debate as to you know how they would call people to prayer whether they should um you know blow the shofar like you know um like in the Jewish tradition, or they should ring bells like the Christians, and then it was then this you know 
through a dream that one of the companions had was then decided that um, that uh, Bilal, who was an Ethiopian convert to Islam, would basically be the the first um, the first person to recite the call to prayer in 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 the in the Islamic tradition. So that's where the tradition comes from. And so, so it, w w one sees that dreams are, are not seen as just as you know sort of random ramblings of the mind, but that they're seen as vehicles through which God inspires, um, you know, um, instructions to, to 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 humanity, not just to the prophet, but also to to to, to the companions uh, uh, around him. And that is why I think. Um, you know, you, you have this saying that states that, um, you know, uh, dream is a part of, is, is, is one part of, uh, of prophecy. So that, um, you know, there are, in, in the Islamic tradition, one would, would distinguish, you know, the, um, how to put it, the sort of universal re revelation, which, which was received by the prophet, uh, through which God transmits instru general instructions to humanity. And then you have private revelations, right? That God uh, basically transmits to to people, and that just meant, you know, for 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 themselves, right? So each one of us has this um, possibility of receiving such um, such um, you know such uh, dreams that you know carry uh, you know. Um, <clears throat> So the, the, these, this this sort of uh, you know divine message sort of quality about them. Yeah, so I very think, early on. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's incredibly rich what you're saying. I I, I want to just highlight a couple of things here that I think are worth putting an exclamation point on. Yousef is it's it's wonderful kind of survey of the spectrum of dreams in the in, in the the kind of the image that comes to mind is um, you know it's a, it's really kind of a, a process of descending into deeper and deeper layers <clears throat> where the first superficial in a completely subjective domain of dreams where, where you can argue as they do in the West that dreams at that level are completely solipsistic. It's just your mind in there. But the farther down, in fact, I think there are a couple of researchers, Harry Hunt, Robert Ogilvie have a wonderful saying where they say, you know, the farther down the rabbit hole you go, the more collective the experience becomes. In other words, it, you go down into not just collective unconscious, but as Jung intimated, but I would argue collective superconscious into bandwidths where where you're actually um, dropping into dimensions of mind so deep, they're you could say pre-temporal, pre-spatial, or trans-temporal, trans-spatial, where in fact prophecy can be gleaned, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Where, where you can have experiences on a on a very colloquial level, deja vu that we can. Oh yeah, you know, don't, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it happens. So it's very strange. So my, 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 I'm, I'm going to share something as personal, but so um, in terms of uh, so the tradition I follow within Islam is uh, we call it um, basically the, the twelve uh, the twelve Shi'i tradition. Um, so there's one specific day in, in the calendar, uh, uh, the ritual, uh, the liturgical calendar, which is basically the tenth day of the month of Muharram. Uh, which commemorates the, um, you know, the the, the the martyrdom of the grandson of the Prophet Muhammad. His name was uh, Hussein, and so he was uh, brutally, um, you know, killed by by the, him and his companions were brutally killed by the authorities of his time, 
because they had asked him to pledge allegiance to the, the caliph and uh, he had refused to do that uh, because the caliph was basically a, a, a wretch. But there was also, you know, um, there's more complex uh, reasons for it because uh, also Hussein is seen as the Islamic equivalent of the, the Lamb of God. So there's also that dimension, but it would be too much to go into it. In any case, in my own experience, very often um, on the morning of um, of that day, I receive these very, very, very intense dreams. Hmm. And what happens very often is that um, the dreams that I have uh, within one or two weeks, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm shown things, and then these things actually happen, like yeah. in in you know in waking life with with you know, extraordinarily shocking detail. And, um, you know, and it's, 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 well, it, it's, it's, um, so it's always very, um, you know, uh, you know, on the one hand, shocking to having, to, uh, you know, to have those, uh, those experiences, but at the same time, you know, it, it's, it shows uh, that, you know, and that's one thing I, I like, but one of the, in lectures that Jordan Peterson gave about, you know, dreams is that dreams are this is these very complex things because you know once you once you move out of the subjective, you know, the solipsistic sort of nature of of, of certain types of dreams, and as you said, when 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 one goes down the rabbit hole, one deals with you know this one actually deals somehow with you know what would what would call the internet of consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. so, so you have one has access to this, you know plethora of data right and and you know and uh, and then one has to ask oneself questions about the nature of that realm right and what i find really interesting is that someone like stephen laberge um in one of his books i don't know which one again but he, he created a, a a protocol uh as to um you know how to you know, as to how to you know, prove that such a realm exists. So, you know, when you have uh, two or more, uh, you know, lucid dreamers, and then, you know, they're, they're, they're given instructions uh, on, on, on what to do. So one of them would, for example, move his hands or his or her hand from the left to the right. And then if the other lucid dreamers are seen to basically move their eyes from, you know, you know, in, in that sort of direction, that would somehow prove that there is, um, you know, that there is this, this, um, that there's an ind independently existing dream realm that we can tap into in the same way that we can tap into, you know, um, into the internet with our own personal computers, right? So in a sense, you know, our own personal solipsistic sort of dreams are whatever we do with our own computers unconnected from the internet right but then we have this ability to basically connect to the internet and and that's when we enter this sort of collective experience or there's this collective realm of of the dream world that you know seems to have its own sort of you know independent uh, existence and that is what is acknowledged in the in the islamic tradition is that the dream realm is seen as, um, as is seen as this intermediary space that is, you know, independent. Um, so that is not just subjective. It's an it's an interpersonal sort of objective reality that is out there that we can tap into. And the, so the name for it is called the Alam al-Mithal, the, the the world of images. Um, 
And it, it fits into the idea that you know Plato also presented in his in his works, right? So the okay. the, um, hmm. the 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 closer one goes towards the uh, you know the the the, the higher good, the, the the ultimate reality, uh, you know the the um, we then enter this world where you know matter becomes spiritualized yeah. and then where pure spirit assumes form so it's this intermediary realm that has its own sort of matter um and has its own its own sort of um, you know forms in a sense it's it's the realm of the archetypes mm. and um yeah. and and what's really interesting in it is that in the islamic tradition uh, this realm is the realm that one enters uh through dreams uh, through visions um, and also through through death, right? So the 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 the, the realm of the dreams is also the, the realm of the intermediate realm of the of of of, of, of those who have passed it, yeah of, of of passed into the uh, into the afterlife, which also explains why in that in the Islamic tradition you have these um, you have these practices where you can uh, you know. You, you can meet, you know, um, dead relatives or, 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 you know, or, well, just, you know, people passed away in the dream realm. Actually, in so in, in the work that I'm, you know, in the book that I'm working on, uh, this 19th century work on, on, um, on, on dream practice, there's this very moving dream that, uh, so this very, you know, this very, uh, famous um you know um a scholar relates how in a dream he he saw one of his friends who had passed away and and was known for his great piety and then uh so he asks him like you know how is the afterlife and then uh he, the, this this the, the person who passed away told <laughs> him you know i i um do you know how how god uh you know showed his mercy to me and then you know, says, well, is it because of your prayers? He said, no. Is it because of your great uh, repentance? No. Is it because of your great, you know, spirituality? No. So what, how did God, you know, why did God show mercy uh, to you? And so it's very moving. Uh, so the, the man says, well, uh, I was standing in front in, in, in God's presence. And then God reminded me of the fact that one winter, in Baghdad, um, I had heard the uh, the meowing of a little kitten that was, uh, you know, that was trying to protect itself from the cold, and I took it up and basically, you know, uh, you know, took the kitten and hid the kitten in in my fur uh, coat and you know brought it to safety, and that because of this act of mercy towards oh. one of God's creation, God had basically, you know shown me mercy you know now as the cat lover i i could not resist to 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 you know to be moved by this it's um you know it's uh it's really it's it's really touching and um so you know the the so this alam al methal um it, it's it's um it's 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 this realm where where you know you enter either through through dreams or through you know ecstatic visions um and and through death and what's the reason why i also mention is ecstatic visions is that there seems to be references to 
entheogenic practices in the early in the early Islamic tradition. So, uh, in, um, in drug induced, right? You say entheogen as in psychotropic agent. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, what's really interesting is very recently, uh, a very, very hardcore conservative ayatollah in Iran by the name of Sayyid Sadiq Rouhani. So it's not it's not you know the same name as the president. It's uh, it's um, it's uh, he's a, he's one of the old school sort of you know very apolitical sort of um, you know jurists basically um, mm. called the Fokaha. So um, a person that I know wrote him a fifteen page uh, report on uh, psilocybin mushrooms and ayahuasca, mm. asking him if from the point of view of Islamic jurisprudence these would be seen as intoxicants and therefore forbidden. Yeah. And so there was a very detailed, uh, you know, uh, it was a very detailed report. And the answer was that, no, it, 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 uh, these substances do not, uh, do, not, do not seem to, uh, you know, do not seem to be able to be, you know, do not seem to be, to fall under the, the, the classification of intoxicants from the point of view of the Islamic tradition. And are therefore authorized on the condition that one takes them under proper guidance. Mm. Now, what's really interesting is that in the report, the person who wrote it mentions all these hadith that talk about a specific plant. Uh, it's called the Syrian rue. Uh, so the Peganum harmala. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's um it's a plant that is commonly used here in the Middle East. Uh, people take the seeds of this plant and burn it. To purify the air and to drive away basically evil evil spirits, yeah, like 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 we do that with juniper in uh, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. It's part of what's yes, called yes. Uh, lungta practice. But anyway, yeah. I just throw that in. Sorry. And so the the seeds of this plant, if they're you know if they're um, you know these the seeds of these plant actually you. Um, when one when one um, when one takes them with uh, as a sort of uh, as a sort of tea, they act as an uh, I think the term is AOI inhibitor. Um, that's I think that's the name because in, in, in ayahuasca you have two elements. You have a plant that gives the DMT, and on another other plant that uh, basically um, blocks a certain enzyme in the stomach that would normally destroy the DMT and allows the DMT to basically, you know, uh, take Thank effect wow. in the body. Yeah. And so the serin rue is a plant like that, that basically inhibits a sp this particular enzyme in the stomach to basically, you know, um, you know, break down the DMT. And so under the, 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 the traditions about this plant are, you know, the like of, the person that drinks this particular tea for 40 days will have rivers of light, you know, uh, springing out of his heart, hmm. right? And what's really interesting is because I, you know, I teach Islamic art is that the, the realm of the, the realm of the images, uh, the, the realm of, you know, the alam the, al-mithal, the um, as I, you know, as it's called in Arabic, it's also the realm where these um, geometrical figures one finds in Islamic architecture are derived from. Mm. And mm. anyone who's had any experience with, uh, you know, with um, with these sort of substances knows that, you know, um, one has this phase when one sees these fractals, you know, appearing, you know, 
And then when one sees the, these these uh, these these fractals, and then one sees uh, one has a look at classical Islamic architecture, then that stuff is just everywhere. Hmm. And um, you know, one is tempted to 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 ask the question as to you know whether or not these um, the the use of these forms uh, in Islamic architecture are not there to basically simulate a sort of like three D you know, journey, so to speak, um, you know, um, when, when, when entering a mosque. Um, uh, th th these are questions I, you know, I'm asking myself right now, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely fascinating. So the Alam al-Mithal, it's, it's um, you know, um, it's this realm where all these things take place. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's an, uh, so the great, um, French philosopher, Henri Corbin, who, who wrote extensively on Islamic philosophy. So he calls the Alam al-Mithal the mundus imaginalis, it's a Latin term. So the, it's the, it's the imaginal world. So it's not imaginary because yeah. it's not the fruit of our own imagination. It's not a fantasy world. It's literally the world of images. It's where. Uh, matter becomes spiritualized and where pure spirit takes takes form and it's the world of the archetype right so so yeah. this is where yeah. all things that exist in this realm exist in that realm in their archetypical form right? and i think it, let me let me toss in a couple things here so when you're talking archetype you know there's there is obviously some um, similarities and differences between uh platonic archetypes the greek version and the jungian um, yeah. I, you're talking more about the the, the actual proto arch, arch, archetype in, in the platonic. Yes, sense. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. In so, the, it's in the platonic sense. Although you know, it's um, you know, Henri Corbin was uh, as as you as you may know, Henri Corbin was actually a very close friend of uh, of Carl Gustav Jung, and uh, so recently uh, his um, his notes that he wrote on on, on Jungian uh, psychology uh, have actually been been published in English recently. So he talks about uh, the, the you know the 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 the, uh, the notion of the um, of the Jungian archetypes and as uh, you know in and and the world the world of dreams in in the Islamic tradition as well. So that's that's something that you know yeah. people are interested in. It, it's um, it's. Uh, so, you know, amazing, it's actually an amazing read. And by the way, that book also contains a whole section on Zen Buddhism and, and Tibetan Buddhism as well. Oh, that's um, fantastic. And, me, uh, sorry? No, I, I wanted to throw in a couple of things here. There's, you're, you're throwing yeah. so many rich topics out here. I'm immediately drawn to, again, we have to, there's always great elegance and also some warnings when we do these kind of cross-cultural um Comparisons, but to me, when you're talking about the imaginal world, the world of images, you know, what comes to my mind is Sambhogakaya, or what in Shambhala Buddhism is called the inner court, which is which is in fact the the, the domain of first forms, where yeah. you know the, the purity of the Dharmakaya, and I know, I think you call it fitra. Um, correct yeah. me if I'm yeah. wrong on that. You know, as, yeah, yeah. as that formless dimension starts to shine into manifest form before yeah. it becomes fully reified it it, it has yeah. this kind of intermediate bandwidth of yes. of the archetypes this first involutionary yes. expression and so to mm -hmm. me this is this is fantastic because we're talking about the sambhogakaya from yeah. from these perspectives yeah absolutely that that's that's what it seems to basically be corresponding in 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 basically the the, the buddhist tradition 
So, which which makes the the, the um, you know which makes the the the, uh, the dialogue between the Islamic mystical tradition and Buddhism so much more urgent because there's so much to talk about. Well, there's so many commonalities. Yeah. Yeah, there's, 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 you know, there's, 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 a, there's a great deal of commonalities, and it's, it's a conversation that, that absolutely needs to take, um, you know, that absolutely needs to, to, to take place because, uh, I mean, some people have attempted it, but, uh, you know, history has its way of, of, uh, you know, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, making certain things, you know, impossible. Right. Uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, or, or, or actually making you know making sure that things only take 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 place at at the, at, the, at the, a later a later time. Um, so you know what's really interesting in, for example, in in Persian, that the term for um, idolatry is uh, but parasti. Parasti means you know worship, and but is basically you know Buddha. It's the worship of the Buddha, and uh, you know I'm I'm uh, so when I go to Iran and I speak to these clerics and. Uh, and you know, like, well, you know, these Buddhists, they, they they worship the Buddha and they bow down to these statues. And I'm like, I hope you realize that there's no such thing as a, a concept of worship, right. worshiping the Buddha in 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 right. in uh, right. in uh, because uh, you know it's like it's not like, uh, for example, I mean, definitely in some of the Hindu traditions, you have you know you have the um, you have the uh, you know. You have the enshrining of the divinity within the statue. I mean that that does exist in certain, for example, Vaishnava uh, traditions. But Buddhism doesn't have that, and it's, yeah. it's not about worshiping the Buddha. It's it's actually the contrary. You you, I mean you you, you basically first of all you, you're honoring your teacher, who who is the you know the Buddha, who is the person who basically you know took it upon himself to you know to to find a solution to to suffering and 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 renounce this world in order to you know out of sheer compassion to bring this this amazing wisdom so it's an act of respect yeah and uh, so yeah and I, I tell them like you 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 have to you know maybe you should you guys should basically practice meditation and realize yeah. you know <laughs> by, how, does that, how does that go over by the way <laughs> Well, you see, this is very interesting because um, so within the mystical circles in, 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 in the Islamic tradition, there's, a, there's this thing called muraqaba, which is basically yes. the sort yes. of, you know, um, how to put it, uh, sort of custody of the mind. So you, 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 it's normally done with the breath. Or it's like, with it's, an, like it's their version of mindfulness, more or less, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's just that um, there's not there's no, not a lot of emphasis on bodily posture, uh -huh. right? And so um, you know when my my friends ask me like, well, why are you you know practicing? Why are you practicing you know meditation like seated on a, a zafu and you know assuming that position? And I'm like, well, because I trust a tradition that actually spent like you know two thousand five hundred years, you know almost exclusively looking into that into that sort of practice and you know and I, and I always explain them that the, the, the positions we take you know when meditating have have no sort of like you know uh, how to put it they have no sort of theological value they're just there to make sure that your body is is completely at peace and 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 you can fully concentrate on you know you, you on on you know on what you're doing right? Uh, instead of like you know wiggling around and, and and doing whatever, 
And uh, so when I was in Karachi and I did this experiment of, so I had this sort of workshop at the university I was teaching. I was, um, I was basically offering uh, one hour of my time each day. And, uh, you know, uh, I would, so anyone who wanted to, 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 to come to these meditation sessions would come. And all I would do is, you know, give sort of very basic, you know, um, you know, mindfulness, you know, I, I use this term very, you know, very, um, you know, very vaguely, uh, but it's, it's just basically observing your, observing your thoughts and concentrating on your breath. Right. And so, and the effects were were were, were amazing, and um, you know, um, and 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 people were surprised when I told them, like, you know, you know that this practice actually also exists in Sufism. It's just that there's no there's no there's no rigorous prescriptions on on, on bodily posture, but it's pretty much the same thing. And I say this because uh, in 2009, I was I was actually in a, initiated in an Iranian Sufi order. And the first instruction I was given is that, so I was given a specific name of God to, to, to recite mentally with my breath. And so, and to focus constantly on my breath wherever I was. So whether I'd be walking or sitting or eating or, you know, whatever, I would, I would just focus on my, on, on my breathing and on that specific name of God. Right. And so using my sort of using my lungs as a sort of, you know, um, you know, instrument of, uh, you know, of, of, of mindfulness. And so it's, 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 you know, it's the same practice. It's just that, you know, Buddhism has, you know, um, has put like more emphasis on how to, how to make the experience even, even, um, you know, more effective in terms of, you know, uh, taking away any sort of distraction from, from, from the exercise. Right. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So, so I'm, ex you know, and then I explained to them, like, you know, um, because here's the thing, right? In Islamic, so nowadays what we have is that as a consequence, I mean, I always use Star Wars as, as, as the way of explaining these things. Uh, and so in the, in the third prequel, right, uh, uh, the Revenge of the Sith, you have the, uh, the, the infamous Order 66, right? Where you know Emperor Palpatine orders the uh, you know the, the the killing of the Jedi's, and that's basically what happened in the 19th century in the mm. Islamic world is that um, so these um, you know very law-based jurists, whether in Sunni Islam or or, or or Shi Islam, decided to basically go after the mystics, and there was literally a Order 66 purge. Oh wow! Of the mystics in the in the um, in the Islamic world, huh. uh, not just by the jurists, but also by you know, colonial powers and 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 by the uh, quote unquote secularists that you know came after them. And so, what what people are were, were left is that they all they had was these um, this idea that Islam is just a, a, a set of laws, right? Yeah, and yeah. then you know, so for example, you know, the, the, so I have these you know young clerics who tell me, for example, that you know we don't know how to what to do with the youth because you know they have this addiction to porn and so on and so forth. And I'm like, well, you know, why don't you teach them meditation? It's like, well, what what would that do? You know, thinking about nothing. It's like, well, that's not what meditation is. Right. Meditation right. is you know, meditation is you adopt the lion's gaze and and you just you know, you take a step back and you're observing your thoughts. And when you're observing your thoughts, you, 
you you start to realize where you know the trouble comes from. Yeah. You know how are you supposed to how are you supposed to basically control your um you know your, your yourself if you have if you're not able to even you know step back and and look at your um at your thoughts. And so I I you know I I you know I've, I'm I'm beginning to have successes and people you know starting to uh, to 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 look into it and and starting to um you know to incorporate that in in their practice. I have this Lebanese friend who's um you know who's a, who's a wonderful young chap, and um, he's um so he's he was very he was very fortunate of being of being trained in Lebanon. And his teachers actually encouraged him to go on a, a month-long meditation retreat in a in a Chan monastery in in uh, in Taiwan, uh, which is very very sort of unusual in, yeah. in, in those circles. And so he he you know he came back and he was really transformed and and he told me like you know you were so right about what you were saying about meditation like you know because in a sense, um, you know, because that element has been sort of, uh, you know, cut out from our tradition because of historical circumstances, the Islam we have nowadays is is, is sort of, you know, incomplete. Uh, so we have to sort of, you know, uh, we have to 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 um, you know take inspiration from other traditions. And I always, I mean, he's also a martial artist, and I, and I tell him, like, well, that's the secret to Bruce Lee, right? I mean, the, what's what <laughs> made Bruce Lee so amazing, right, is that he realized the the limitations of a, you know, a sort of stagnating, um, you know, understanding of tradition. Uh, yeah. Tradition should, you know, tradition really is a river that keeps flowing, and a river accepts water from you know from from its source, but also from 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 you know rivulets and 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 the rain and rain as well, and that's what makes the 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 the, the, the river even richer. And the, the river remains the river, right? And uh, likewise, you know, you know, Bruce Lee understood the, the limitations of Wing Chun, so he he took his you know footsteps from. Um, from Cha Cha, he was a he was an he was an excellent Cha Cha dancer. He took his inspiration also from from boxing, from judo and taekwondo, and and even Filipino martial arts. I think. Beautiful. And because he understood that you know um, what what really what 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 was really important is is effectiveness, um, you know, efficiency. Sorry, and uh, rather than just sticking to you know a sort of you know stagnated idea of what tradition is. And, you know, I, I always tell my friends, you know, because of what happened in the 19th century, many of us find ourselves, you know, spiritually orphaned in the sense that we very often no longer have access to these, um, you know, great Sufi orders, um, or we no longer have access to these teachings anymore. And uh, in that case, you know, um, what one, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, it's it's not, it's not really a problem to take inspiration from other traditions that actually have kept these mystical traditions alive and uh, and 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 sort of repair you know the damage that has been caused by these historical you know uh, circumstances and so he's you know he's um, he's a young cleric uh, he's is he's, he's you know upcoming and um, 
And he, so he's, he's incorporating meditation and also martial arts. And he has these, um, you know, he has this sort of, um, uh, how to put it, spiritual warrior program. So he's, um, you know, because there's this huge crisis of masculinity and especially in the West. So he's, he's taking these young kids and, and, you know, um, and, 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 and goes through this program where they, they, they learn how to basically bring order into their lives and, 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 and sort out, you know, their, their lives and, and realize that, you know, the spiritual path isn't just about, you know, uh, orbiting somewhere in outer space, but it's also about embodying, uh, you know, Absolutely. compassion and, 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 and these things in, in, in real life with amazing results, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, it's, it's the, uh, so I, I, I don't lose, I don't lose hope. Um, I, I, I want to put an exclamation point on this as well. This is such an important point, my friend, where it's basically the, the promise and peril of tradition, you know, that, that on one level, uh, as we well know, especially, it, you know, in my tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, there's such an emphasis on refuge, such an emphasis on lineage, such an emphasis on, on the, the, the elegance and the beauty of tradition. But what you say here is so incredibly important. It, it reminds me, actually, that it, in the United States, we have a little bit um, kind of an analog of the Dead Sea. It's in, in California. It's called the Sultan Sea, which is a, a, a really interesting kind of anomaly where the Colorado River was diverted almost 100 years ago into this massive basin, then got cut off from any um, further kind of infusion and now it's basically this dead sea that's so utterly salinated that nothing can survive in it. It's basically like an apocalyptic um, channel ground. And I, yeah. I've been there. And this image is absolutely fantastic. So let's let's talk a little bit more about this, Yusuf, where yes, yes. in your own experience, you know, the let's talk first about the power of lineage, the power of refuge, yeah. the power of tradition. And then relating it, bouncing it, because the near enemy of that of that incredible um, refuge power is, in fact, exactly what you're talking about. Is you're, you become proprietary, ego steps yeah. in, and you basically you kill the floodwaters, and then you're left with this dead sea of tradition. Oh, absolutely. And you know, incidentally, um, so this is one city in Iran, um, uh, basically an hour away south from from Tehran, called uh, it's called Qom. That's where basically the, the, the main center for, for training clerics is, right? It's a, it's a holy city. It's, um, it's, uh, it's the grave of the sister of one of the, of the Shia imams, right? The, the, you know, the tulkus of the, 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 Shia, the, the Shia tradition. And so you have these seminaries. And uh, just, you know, close to that city, you have this, uh, you have a similar salinated lake. You know that 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 is there, yeah. and I always thought that you know it's such a, a fitting expression, um, it's such a fitting image for what what has been going on uh, in that city because um, you know so on the you have this I mean Henri Corbin talks about it you have within Shiism this internal war uh, between on the one hand what we call the nomocentric the the the, the law centered you know sort of um, you know, jurists, uh, I think in, in biblical term, we would probably call them the Pharisees, right? Yeah. And on the one hand, the mystics. And there's always been this, this tension because the mystics are, in a sense, the, 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 the proper heirs to, you know, the, the, the spiritual tradition. 
but then you have these jurists who who, who are actually agnostics and and who um, you know completely reject uh, mysticism, and and so that, I mean that's that's one extreme. And of course you have you know you have you have people in between. You have people who are who not only have a, a juridical training but also have this you know that you are also part of that spiritual tradition. But what has happened is that. So shortly before the the Iranian revolution, you had this spiritual revival that that happened in Homs. You had this one amazing um, character. His name was um, Alama Tabatabai. So Alama is a a title for a a scholar. Uh, And so so Alama Tabatabai was this amazing mystic um, uh, we call him an Arif, uh, 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 an agnostic, actually, hmm. who uh, was, um, you know, very was, you know, was was an ocean of knowledge, really, when for anything that had to do with Islamic philosophy and Islamic mysticism, and he led really an ascetic life. I mean, his he was someone who uh, endured incredible suffering. Um, but always, you know, was, 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 you know, with, with so much grace and so much, uh, you know, equipoise and, 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 uh, you know, stillness of the mind. And what's really amazing is that around that time, you also have in Tehran, uh, because of Henri Corbin, who was teaching six, six months a year, you have these young Iranian scholars who become aware of their own spiritual tradition. And then these two circles meet. And what you then have is in the 1960s, uh, you have this traditional uh, mystical scholar from Om who's reading and commenting the Upanishads, the Tao Te Ching, and the Gospel of John to this circle of, you know, of, um, you know, students. and amongst them, you have people like, you know, Sayyid Hussein Nasser, who's teaching at, uh, you know, George Washington University, who's one of the leaders of the traditionalist movement. You also had, of course, Henri Corbin. And you had, um, you know, Darius Shaygan, who was the, the guy who came up with the idea of the dialogue of civilizations. And uh, Darius Shaygan was, was teaching Sanskrit at the University of Tehran at that time. Wow. So, so uh, and what was amazing is the Alamat Tabatabai, who's, you know, who's, you know, whose orthodoxy could not be doubted, was able to read the Upanishads and say, you know, the, the Upanishads, you know, you know, um, you know, seem to express, you know, the same ideas of, the, you know, of, of divine unity that we in our own tradition express as well. Uh, he said the same thing about the Tao Te Ching and, and, and so all the great, the, you know, all these great uh, spiritual traditions. And he encouraged his students to, you know, uh, explore other other traditions, while of course always being rooted within 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 their own. So you have this amazing generosity. Yeah. But then what you also have is that uh, you have this this amazing mind, but you also have, on the other other hand, um, the, the 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 inhabitants of the city of Om. Well, so, sorry, certain inhabitants of the city of Om who would. Throw stones at him and, and call him an, a heretic, and um, and would sometimes, for example, refuse to drink from the same glass of water as him because they, they would deem that glass to be impure. So this is the problem: is that you have you have a very insecure 
um, you know, sort of, sort of OCD type of, <laughs> you know, you know, ju- you know, sort of like law-based, uh, you know, um, population, which um, recently there was a series on that I think came on Netflix about, um, it's called Unorthodox, this, the story of this, huh. you know, um, this woman who grew up in a, in a, in a Hasidic, um, in the Satmar uh, Hasidic uh, community, and then just, you know, ran away because uh, of all of the extremely OCD type stringent rules that were making her life impossible, and that just dr- drove her nuts. And what's what's um, my experience uh, as a, as a, as a convert who was drawn to um, Shi Islam because of the writings of Alama Tabatabai and Henri Corbin. Is is a very um, you know it's a very uh, how to put it it's a it's um, as I, as I always say is um, you know the the, the, the writings of Alama Tabatabai and Henri Corbin were this amazing brochure where you know you 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 you're invited to see the 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 the, uh, the, 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 the marvels of Rome but then the reality was that I ended up in an uh, in a sort of like you know terrible motel run by the by the Albanian mafia. <laughs> so, that's great. What a great image. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, anyway, because that's unfortunately what it is. I mean, the um, you know uh, I would not say that all of the clergy is like this, but you have a substantial number of of um, you know leaders of the clergy who uh for example state things like you know uh that non-muslims are ritually impure so that would mean that for example yeah if you you know your hands are wet and you're shaking hands with a buddhist you have to literally wash your hands yeah and yeah. and uh and that these people have the same status as you know feces and blood yeah. and semen and urine and yeah. so forth so yeah. forth yeah. And and what this does is that people who come from outside, even if they convert to Islam, are, are seen as basically second grade, you know, um, Muslims. Hmm. So so that has that has turned my uh, my own experience into 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 a nightmare, which is the reason why I. Oh, I yeah, I, I I keep you know I I keep I keep the community uh, basically at arm's length because of this because it it creates a very um a very very unhealthy environment because on the one hand you have these claims of universe universality uh, especially by the you know the, by the clerics who are trained by the Iranian political establishment but then the reality is that you have these um these laws that come straight out of the 19th century where, you know, because of colonialism, probably you have this, you know, fear of the outside that, you know, uh, reinterprets the entire, uh, the entire Islamic um, jurisprudential apparatus and sees everything as a threat from the outside. Yeah. So what, what has, what this has done uh, for, you know, converts to Shiism is that it's basically become a nightmare. I, 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 I think that the overwhelming majority of converts that I know don't frequent Shia mosques because of this. I mean, especially not in the in, in the West. Um, I mean, I lived in Iran for a year, but you know, because I look Iranian, because I look, I, I speak Persian, you know, that you know, for me wasn't was never a real a real problem. 
but you know the, the Shia communities that live in the, in the West, uh, it's a completely different deal. And you know, you 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 immediately told that you're not part of the inner circle. Exactly. And exactly. And even though I'm an academic, right? I'm teaching all of this stuff at you know university level. But there's because of the sin of being born outside of the tradition. Wow. Um, I'm not okay. allowed to have a voice, and I'm not. I'm not the only one, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, so this has, you know, um, this has made uh, this has made me realize. This has made me, of course, like as a convert, one, one always, you know, the first years, one always tries to, you know, fit in, you know, and and follow whatever. But at some point, you know, uh, you know, uh, abuse after abuse after abuse, you start to realize that there's something not quite right going on. Yeah, and then that. one <laughs> asks questions about about um, you know uh, about what tradition actually is, you know, um, and what you know whether what we are now nowadays being served as the tradition is actually the real stuff, you know, in and of itself, because. The other problem, of course, is that since the Iranian revolution is that, um, unfortunately, anyone who converts to Shiism is automatically seen as, you know, uh, as an agent of Iran, right? Yeah. And that makes it, you know, that makes life for converts even more difficult because on the one hand, you know, your, your community of origin sees you as pretty, pretty oh, much yeah. a race traitor. Yep. <clears throat> as a pariah and then on the other hand you have the community that you converted to that doesn't accept you because you you know you're from the outside and yeah so you're in, yeah you're in a bardo yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's uh you know and but you know so recently i you know i had this this huge crisis but i found this liberating because as you say it's a bardo and i i, I i've I, i've realized that you know what you know, I've, I've had to distinguish on the one hand, the craving for belonging from the desire to follow, uh, you know, in, in, in the words of, you know, Father Francis, right? right. The, 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 path of the, the path of the Bodhisattva, right? Yeah. Because that's what matters. Yeah. The, what really matters is not the label that, you know, you, you put on yourself or that you, you, you desire other, to pe other people to, to see in you. Uh, what really matters is that you have to be an embodiment of divine compassion. I mean, almost every single chapter of the Quran starts with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. You know, through the name of God, the, the, the merciful, the most you know, the, the most compassionate. It's it's about compassion. It's about you know being an embodiment of of, of, of mercy. It's 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 you know it's in a in, in a sense you have to be Avalokiteshvara, right? Yeah. Yeah. You uh -huh. have to be Chandresi, right? Mm. And and um, you know, and that's what matters, you know. And um, so the way I come to terms with it now is that um, you know, rereading Henri Corbin, uh, he, he, he um, spoke about the fact that you know, the notion of the ecclesia spiritualis, the, the spiritual church, the, the spiritual, the spiritual uh, community, meaning that. Uh, the initiates, uh, people who are you know who tread the mystical path and whatever whatever tradition they're part of, they're actually part of you know that greater sort of angelic community. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Real and, and and 
which explains why I think, yeah. you know, uh, you and I and Father Tiso and probably other people are able to, you know, to speak, you know, uh, to have the, to find these common, commonalities because, um, you know, the, 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 because I think our motivation is, 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 you know, very, very similar. Um, and, and I think probably the end goal as well. And no, so, the, the, yeah. No, it, it, I didn't mean to interrupt you. you. You're just hitting on so many incredible points here, my friend. One is, you know, the importance of, you know, outer and inner sangha. On, on one level, that's really what we're talking about here: is that the inner sangha abides by these fundamental principles. You know, my principles. My my favorite definition of meditation these days is habituation to openness. And this narrative, this narrative of openness has so much power. I'm actually writing an entire book on it. Um, mm -hmm. the, the difference between this and, and the archetype of contraction. And so really what you're talking about here is this kind of trans, or you could almost say pre-religious inner sangha of people like you, Father Francis. And, and, and interestingly enough, when I look back over the two years of people I've interviewed, there's quite a few of these people in this community where we're we're talking about this inner community um, that speaks the commonality of the human condition that isn't stuck in, yeah. the, in the dead sea of the yeah. outer sangha. As important as that can yeah. be provisionally, it can go stale. And, and I think this is incredibly important, you know, to, again, to, yeah. to like you were talking about earlier, the, the difference between the threats from the outside, which is legitimate on one level, versus the treats from the outside. And for me, one of the biggest markers of a community that's in trouble or is about to get in trouble is when, in fact, they close down these tributaries. And I can speak, I won't name names, but I, I have been on the inner side of communities where all of a sudden they just shut down and say, no more teachers, no more coming in from the outside. And to me, that is the death knell. You just put the dam up and this sea is about to go dead. So yeah. therefore, then, then you have to go underground, so to speak. In, yeah, yeah. With, with the inner sangha, which is exactly what you're talking about here, that you yeah, know. Absolutely. So absolutely. yeah, so so I I couldn't agree more with you, and I think it's incredibly important for practitioners um, to be aware of the promise and peril of tradition, because there obviously is tremendous power in tradition, but there mm -hmm. are colossal shadow sides, and, oh, and this absolutely. is one of them. Absolutely. And you, Absolutely. You, are, you live this. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I had, uh, you know, I, I, I've, um, there's, there's, uh, there's so much abuse that I've seen. Um, I had a friend who was, 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 was basically a genius. He um, was, so uh, he's American. Uh, his name was, um, actually, I won't mention his name because it's a bit personal, but so he was this young man who went to university at, um, you know, at this, you know, humanities college in, in uh, I think, in New England called Simon's Rock. He was 15 years old when he went to university. Oh, wow. Very talented young man. And he converted to Shiism. So he went to London and joined the seminary there, whilst he was also studying at my university, the University of the School of Oriental and African Studies. And he managed to reach actually the highest possible levels uh, in terms of you know his clerical training, and got his PhD when his, when he was twenty three years old. Oh wow! And the community just um, treat I'm like the, the ostracism just okay. because he was um, you know just because he was from you know from an, a European background, right? Um, 
and because of his interest in mysticism, uh, they drove him to suicide. No kidding. You know, oh, and and it's it's just terrible because you know I, I speak to people in the community like, don't you realize these converts could actually help you and you know be an intermediate between you and and the wider you know society and uh, and then when you realize that the community is actually in the hands of of, of mafias uh, like you know real mafias not just figuratively speaking but really mafias yeah you start to understand that you know um, when 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 tradition is used as an excuse to be um, you know to to cover a a, a systematic so a system of of abuse yep. you know of uh, emotional and spiritual and sexual and economical abuse, right? Yep. Then this is this is where you know one has to have the the courage of say of saying, okay, I'm going to have to take it upon myself to study the tradition, um, you know, but also make sure that I keep my sanity and I keep my 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 my, my dignity. So. As for myself, you know, people ask me what denomination, you know, are you? I just say I'm just I'm just a Muslim. I follow the teachings of the uh, of the Prophet and his family, and that said, I refuse to I refuse to take part in this whole um, denomination game. Yeah. And what I always tell people is, um, you know, what I used to tell my students in Karachi is. Look, in the streets of Karachi or in the streets of, you know, certain cities in, 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 in Iraq, you have 10-year-old girls being, you know, sold into prostitution. If you have time to discuss who should have been the leader of Islam 1,400 years ago after the Prophet died, died I have no time for you. That's right. Because yeah. it's, not, it's, not about, it's not about this. It's not about, you know, because it's, it, it's, it's very... Because when the foundation of your entire life becomes a, an a, a, a historical event that you cannot verify, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's like it's like saying, if like you know, if you and I were to create a cult, and you know, um, and and we were to say, okay, um, anyone who does not believe that on December twenty first, Andrew Holcheck and 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 Francisco slash Yusuf had coffee at the Angelina Cafe in Paris at three o'clock. <laughs> Anyone who does not believe that, you're going to hell. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's absolutely pointless. It's just, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, like, and I, I tell these people, I like, mean, how many widows have you helped with, with, with this sectarian nonsense or this, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, presumably that, you know, someone did this and this and that, this or that, you know, 1400 years ago, it doesn't help you one, 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 one bit. What matters is that is that you are an embodiment of whatever the prophet, you know, stood for. That's what that's what it is. And that's what the um, that's what we call the sunnah, the, the, uh, the tradition of the prophetic tradition. That's what it's about. You know, the the. Uh, the, the 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 care for you know I mean protecting protecting the weak uh, you know protecting animals you know even though you know the Islamic tradition allows meat eating right um, there's so much emphasis laid on 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 uh, you know on on protecting animals and taking care of them I mean, like in the 19th century the Ottoman Empire was actually famous for its hospitals for animals. 
uh, and the, um, the, the, the religious establishments that would take care of stray cats and stray dogs and so on and so forth, and even cranes, for God's sake, right? Hmm. And, and now all of that is gone. And I'm like, you know, I mean, you know, you can you can blame any colonial power that you want. But at the end of the day, you know, it's uh, no one, no one forced you to 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 abandon these traditions. You know, uh, I mean, you know, here in Baghdad, I had, you know, have this stray cat that basically, you know, um, sought refuge in, in our house and is now part of our household. Uh, called him Fahudi. Uh, Fahad in Arabic means uh, means the means the leopard because he, he's a, one of these orange cats. Yeah, and you know, and and people in our neighborhood are quite astonished and like, well, but this is what the prophet did. The prophet, yeah. you know, uh, you know, peace be upon him and his family. He he he, uh, he insisted on the fact that you know cats are part of the household and and you should you know you should show compassion towards to, towards animals, right? Um. So, so you know, that's what it's all about, you know. And I'm not interested in labels. I'm, 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 I'm really, you know. So, uh, in a sense, because also, I you know, I, I used to practice martial arts, and you know, I, my attitude I had really good teachers, and what they taught me is like, you know, um, don't just be stuck in one particular style. So. When I used to live amongst the Sikhs, I I, I learned you know their martial art, which is known as Shastravidya, the, the you know the, the 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 science of weapons. But I also you know would uh, learn Filipino martial arts, you know Eskrima, because you know I understood that just you know being stuck within one uh, one martial art could be could be limiting, right? And you know I'm I'm. And I think likewise in my spiritual path, uh, it's been this way. Like, you know, I have this, you know, I have this main road, right? Which, you know, it's just, you know, with this the path of, you know, the Prophet Muhammad and his and his family. But, you know, uh, wherever there's compatibility, I'm, you know, I'm I'm also the student of, you know, Dogen, of, you know, Padma Sambhava, of, you know, of, uh, of uh, Saint Gregory Palamas, of the uh, you know, and, 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 you know, because, you know, truth is the truth, you know, and it's, 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 it's universal. And Islamic tradition states that, you know, um, that, you know, the, there's this notion of the logos, right? In Islamic tradition, we call it the uh, Mohammedan reality. So it's the, it's the light of the prophet Muhammad before anything else was created. And it stated that, you know, out of that light, all of the prophets, that came before him, you know, emerged out of that light and, and, and were manifested here on earth. So, you know, for me, uh, I've never had a problem, you know, seeing the Buddha as one of one of the great prophets of my tradition, uh, Jesus, and all the others, right? And what kind of helps is that a few years ago, my, my brother actually discovered that we had um, Sephardic roots, right? So wow. it just makes my experience, you know, wow. even... Um, even even uh, even yeah. Marriott. Yeah, we, we we have an interesting family. My my uh, my brother is um, is a Holocaust specialist, and uh, he did work on um, the the deportation of uh, of the Luxembourgish Jews, and as a result, he was made a, an honorary member of the Jewish community in Luxembourg. And then you know we started digging into our um, you know into our family history, and turns out our uh, our one of our great grandfathers on my mother's side 
was actually, uh, you know, was, 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 a, was a Jew who converted to Catholicism. Hmm. I don't know why. I think hmm. probably out of love or maybe he just wanted to eat sausages. I don't know. Let's get to the real uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, you know, and I, I think also that's, that's why in my family, I think we've always been at ease with, uh, you know, our crazy sort of spiritual, spiritual experiments, you know, uh, and uh, yes. So, you know, this is, so tradition. Yeah, sorry. You no, know, I just want to say what you're saying here is, is really, again, it's just so beautiful. It, it, when, when people ask me these days, you know, what do you study and all that? I, I do tell them I'm, you know, for tax purposes, I'm a, I'm a card carrying Tibetan Buddhist. But actually, my, my calling card these days, Yusuf, is I'm a curious, a curious. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah. I'm interested in the nature yeah. of reality and no yeah, one has yeah. a patent on truth. And I always remind myself, the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. Muhammad wasn't yeah, absolutely. Muslim. Absolutely. You know, there was, these absolutely. are people that just woke up, and then and then there was this cascade of whatever yeah. that came after them. So let's talk about this. What, yeah. what what we've been talking about here has been incredibly descriptive. Let's transition a little bit um, to prescriptive. In other words, when I look at these issues, one of the things that, that blaringly comes out for me, and I'd love to see what you have to say about this and then where we can, in fact, be um, prescriptive. We, we, we're making a little bit of a diagnosis that uh -huh. what can we do with this. To me, so much of this, and this is why I'm a big fan of integral theory, um, so much of this is, is developmentally related, that, that if we can look at the spectrum of being as a spectrum of consciousness, a spectrum of lucidity, awareness, and openness, then, then we have at least some um, kind of structured uh, uh, explanatory power to look at why somebody can do, you know, some crazy um, act, very extreme kind of terrorist thing. And then you have the middle way where, where or middle realm where you have the, you know, the traditional clerics that dismiss people like this, this young um, British um, gentleman who, who killed himself. So yeah. to me, Yusuf, it's, it, it's, it's largely an understanding of the human condition, the, the importance of understanding the spectrum of awareness and also you know, some of the booby traps inherent in that because the minute you start talking about that, then you've got dominator hierarchies versus actualization hierarchies. Where you know you can then map out and say, oh, you know, on one level that's implicit, but the people do not really unpack it properly. And so, to me, and, and then I'll, I'll I'll let you run with this, mm. understanding the developmental nature, the psychological spectrum of of human uh, condition can really help us understand why does somebody do that. Um, you know, and, and again, as you know, there has been hundreds and hundreds of developmentalists. This is one of the great contribution of the West. Uh, mm -hmm. Structuralism, developmentalists—I yeah. could name you know fifty of them—that um, I think can really help us here. So let's let's transition a little bit to a more prescriptive approach. What what can we do with all this now? Obviously, where some of this has been woven in, but let's be a little bit more explicit um, yeah. and on, on so-called good news. <laughs> Well, so, you know, what's what interesting is that I was able to look into those issues with, with my students in, in, in Karachi. So um, I would have these students who, um, 
for all intents and purposes, thought that, you know, they, they sort of saw me as sort of a sensei sort of figure. And they would come in, pop into my office, and they would talk about their personal problems. And they would, you know, say that, you know, um, I mean, we're talking about Pakistan, so, uh, you know, an overwhelmingly, you know, you know, I mean, a majority Muslim country. So these people came from a Muslim background and they're like, well, I'm not in, you know, I'm not in touch with my faith anymore. And, you know, I, you know, I'm, you know, I've kind of lost touch with religion. I'm an agnostic, I'm an atheist, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and so they would seek my advice. And the first thing I would say is, you know, um, you know, if I were, if, if I were, you know, if the only Islam I would have been offered was the Islam you had to experience, I would probably have become an atheist as well. Yeah. Um, and the other, the other thing is this: is that you know what, what, um, what I told my students is, um, you know, I don't believe in the existence of atheists, but I, um, I, what I believe is that you know. Um, and I'm and and I'm I don't want to use the word God here too much, but I think you know the the, the acceptance of this higher reality. I think what what what, what problem people who have problems with it are you know most of the time people have deep issues with you know their parents, and that's what I've seen most of the time. Yep. Um, and I kept insisting, like you know, uh, the, the the absolute reality is not your dad and it's your, not your mom. You know, stop projecting your own personal problems uh, onto you know onto onto basically the the the, the greater reality. And um, and this, I mean, you know, I didn't say this explicitly. I would just you know silently say this whilst teaching them mindfulness and making them aware of the condition you know, of how their limited experiences of the world was conditioning the way they were looking at everything else. Hmm. And that there was this, you know, this other realm out there that, you know, was completely independent of it. And I think one of the major problems is that, and especially with the fact that we're dealing here nowadays with, with modernity, we're dealing with societies where people remain um, adolescents much longer. Yeah, no than before, right? Uh, I mean, the example I always use is you had around the, um, you know, around the um, beginning of the 16th century is you have these, uh, you know, these, uh, these rock star creators of empires who emerge in the, in, in the Middle East and, and, and um, you know, Central Asia. You know, people like Shah Ismail Safavi and Babur who are, who were respectively 14 and 16 years old when they created their empires. And they didn't just like, you know, they didn't just surround themselves with like older men who told them what to do. No, no, they were actually the ones who gave the impetus to actually create these, the, 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 you know, those empires. I mean, Shai Ismail Safavi was, a, a, was a, you know, was 12 years old when he started this campaign to take revenge for his father who had been killed by some, you know, some, some warlord. And then in a space of five years, he conquers everything between, you know, uh, you know, Western Afghanistan and, and uh, the border with Turkey, right? And he does that very often, like leading the charge, you know, and first in line. And, and, that, and so when he becomes, you know, uh, emperor of Iran, he's 14 years old. Wow. 
And, you know, I think one of the issues here is, is especially in our age, is that I think um, people remain, people are infantilized, um, yep. and not only because of the media, but also because the schooling system, yep. um, you know, sort of, um, traps them in in basically the um, the golden cage in which you know uh, Prince Siddhartha was was trapped in in his in his in his youth, right? Yeah. Uh, we have with modernity, with with we've, we've built these um, we've built these golden cages where we, we're trying to protect our young from from the outer world and create these safe spaces and and so on and so forth. And without confronting, you know, without confronting them with, with, you know, the realities of life, which is like, you know, suffering. Yep. And what's really interesting is I, 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 um, if you ask, for example, uh, a, a poor taxi driver in Baghdad or Cairo, um, you know, who has to feed six children and has to deal with, you know, violence on a daily basis. Most often, these people actually don't have any issue whatsoever with the acceptance of the higher reality. They just accepted the fact that, you know, this is the realm of tests. This is the realm of suffering. And it's all about, you know, it's all about, you know, passing that, that test. At the same time, I'm, I'm always suspicious of, you know, of how this can be used by the elites to basically keep people in, in, a, in a state of submission. But... Uh, I, I I do think in, a, in in terms of what we were talking about is that you know uh, so much of what spirituality so much of what we nowadays talk about in terms of spirituality is always seen through this lens of you know feeling good and 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 and, and it's really real. so, it's yep. you know it's really self centered yep. and it it's and it's 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 very infantile. And when this, um, and I was recognizing the dangers of all of that, of all of that, you know, myself, because I mean, I made a conscious, conscious decision to leave the West for a number of reasons. Um, one of them being that, you know, in order to practice my faith in, 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 in you know, without, you know, getting too, too, too harassed, you know, I mean, to, you know, especially in Europe nowadays with the, it's it's becoming more and more difficult to actually practice as 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 a Muslim. So you know, uh, so I, I decided to move east to have a you know, to to have um, to have the ability to practice my faith without having to explain to people why I pray five times a day and so on and so forth because I was, it was just getting on my nerves. And the other thing also is because you know I I um I had this feeling that you know that the, the reality that we were experiencing in western europe and north america is 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 not what you know nine tenths of humanity experience i mean it's all fine and dandy you know um talking about meditation and spirituality and so so forth but you know how does one keep that you know so let me describe to you my neighborhood right i i, I live in a working class neighborhood here in, in, in baghdad and you know um, the people are wonderful, you know. I I have absolutely no complaints. But at the same time, we, you know, there are there are big problems that are the consequences of you know of, of both you know uh, politics, but also certain trends that you know have have uh, emerged out of um, 
of years and years of you know different political conditions. So uh, what has with, with with the complete you know um, with the complete you know sort of destruction of the state, right? You have the emerge the reemergence of the tribes as you know as 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 uh, as powerful structures within society, and that comes at a price. That that means that, for example, let me give you know I'm going to give you a, a simple example. Um, in this neighborhood, there was a kid who was was you know playing with another kid. That other kid had, had asthma, and you know whilst they were playing, the kid has had an asthma attack and died. Oh, and yeah, and and that that kid's family, his tribe basically demanded you know blood money oh from not just the family but their tribe their tribe as well. Wow, and. To the point that you know, there you know, it's 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 literally ended up in in some sort of you know tribal warfare. Wow. And you know, so how does one, how does one maintain that sort of you know spirituality? Because any sort of feel good spirituality will basically just be obliterated by this sort of reality. It, it just flies out of the window. Um, I had a rude awakening. When 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 I arrived here, and I had to really, you know, strip my ideas of the path, of you know what the path really is. You know, am I in this because of a, you know, of an infantile longing for belonging? In this, in the sense that if I have to do my own sort of like dime store psychoanalysis, you know, I'm the I'm the child of you know immigrant parents in Luxembourg who's sort of been uprooted, who lived in a society where he was constantly, you know, designated as an outsider, uh, with a father who had to work, you know, overtime to be able to afford, you know, uh, his family a, a good life. So which also meant that I've, you know, I've I've never been able to 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 have the sort of bond that other people have with 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 their fathers. And this is no reproach to my father. My father is a fantastic human being, but it's just out of, you know, like he's a working class father trying to give his, 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 his children, um, you know, whatever he can afford, right? So how much does this, you know, influence the way I look at my spiritual path? Am I trying to compensate for something that I've not had in, in my, you know, in, in, in my childhood? And, you know, and if one isn't confronted with, you know, some really harsh realities, these issues don't come up, and the the crisis does not does not come up, and the crisis is the moment where you have to really make choices and 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 realize, you know, why are you, you know, why are you waking up every every morning? Why are you praying? Why are you meditating? Why is it? Is it because you want to be part of something to compensate for, you know, the, the sort of identity you've never been allowed to have? Yeah. Or is it because you, you're here to basically embody, um, you know, a, 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 a certain number of principles? And I think this is where one has to lay the emphasis on, on you know, um, on coming out of spiritual infancy and entering Yep. You know, the stage of, you know, um, what I would call, because, you know, I'm a man, I would call spiritual manhood. Yep. Or what we'd call, actually, in the Islamic tradition, what we would call futua, uh, Islamic chivalry. The Islamic tradition has a, um, 
has a tradition of chivalry very much like Bushido, basically. In you know, yeah. and so you had. Uh, I mean, that's com- almost completely disappeared in, in in Islamic societies. But what used to happen is that around the age of fourteen, uh, you were considered an adult, and you were initiated into. Sorry, a profession, and um, you. There was an initiation ritual. You had to wear these breeches that would go, you know, up to your knees. You were made to drink a bowl of water in which three pinches of salt were 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 put in that represents the outer way, uh, the esoteric way, and then the the ultimate reality. Hmm. And you were made to you were made to you know um, profess a certain number of vows of you know um, being. Honest and, and 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 protecting the weak and 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 uh, you know and basically being a an embodiment of compassion around you and making sure that you worked in combination with mindfulness. So, for example, uh, I found this amazing treat- treatise from these calico printers in northern India from the Mughal period, where the writers say that you know your heart should be as pure as the white a white cloth on which you're printing these these patterns and you should you know you should print you should print the name of god on your heart whilst you you're, you're printing these um patterns on the cloth so these people whilst manually working were also you know doing this with mindfulness right and um and that of course came with this idea of you know uh leaving the world of infancy and entering the, the world of um of, of of you know adulthood and because we're bereft of you know these sort of initiation rituals in the modern world a lot of us drift into our you know our, our 20s and our 30s and our 40s with a lot of unsolved um you know um baggage and this is where i think a lot of the insecurities that we see nowadays uh are emerging this 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 um you know because it's all about people who want to have an identity and who want to cling to it and and who create this these identities by rejecting the other and and by blaming the other and who sorry and who um you know and who ba- uh, and who are not able to deal with 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 resentment um i mean one of the big problems nowadays with 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 the islamic tradition is that there seems to be this internal war between on the one hand the spiritual tradition on, of islam and then this this cult of resentment um and and god knows this you know there's there's loads of reasons to be resentful about the conditions um, but here's the, you know, here's what's really interesting. Um, so there's this, you know, wonderful, um, uh, you know, Islamic scholar in California, Hamza Yusuf, who's, a, who's an American convert to, to, to Sunni Islam. Um, and he, he keeps insisting on the fact that, you know, that the, the, the Muslims of the past, whenever a calamity would, 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 uh, befall them, the first question they would ask is what did we do? that this came about You're no kidding. and how, what can we do in our own personal lives to correct this? Yep. And when Christ, when these sort of crises would come along, these would usually be periods where people would 
in, you know, intensify their spiritual practice and give up, you know, on worldly ple pleasures and, um, you know, and, and, and really focus on their spirituality and, and coming back towards the, the ultimate reality. Whereas nowadays, it's become a sort of sport of, you know, blaming this or the other country for whatever evils befall, um, you know, the, 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 the Muslim world. And, um, you know, so I, I very often have these conversations with, with uh, when I go to Iran, when I have conversations with people who are part of the, 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 the state structure, right? And, you know, and they keep talking about in this country and other country being, you know, the origin of all evils. And I tell them, well, in, you know, you, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's sort of ironic that you keep, you know, talking about the evils of the West, yet all of the men in your societies wear Western clothes. Yeah. And most of your buildings nowadays are built with, uh, with you know, modern Western architecture. And in 40 years of Islamic revolution, you've not made a single real effort to actually bring back your own beautiful tradition. And you sort of don't understand that this sort of, sort of uh, you know, this, this is law of attraction, hmm. which is that if you, if you dress <clears throat> like the people who you accuse of colonizing you, well, that's the reality you're going to attract in your life. Exactly. And that's... And, and, and that's acknowledged in the Islamic tradition. I mean, uh, you have a lot of sayings of the Prophet that, you know, that say that, you know, people should dress according to their own tradition. Uh, not to say that, you know, the, that itself cannot evolve. And, you know, in the 17th century in Esfahan in Iran, there, there were fashion designers who took inspiration from the West and from China and so on and so forth. But, you know, the, it was still recognizably it was it was still recognizably Persian, Persian, and you know I would I would I always tell these people it's very ironic that you know uh, you guys seem to have forgotten the most essential act of resistance, uh, which is that you know to preserve your own culture, yeah. and uh, I tell them you laugh at Iraqis because they still go around dressing in their long you know sort of long sort of tunics and their yeah. traditional headdresses, but you know but they have not succumbed to to this uh, to this inferiority complex and it's quite ironic that you know whilst you're you know calling on for the death of certain nations in the world you're actually still imitating them and um, and, and i'm like don't you realize that if you practice meditation you'd realize <laughs> you'd actually realize that the, the, the you know the farcical nature of all of this right yeah yeah and i think that has to do that has to do with you know with profound insecurities yeah. Um, rather than things that are inbuilt within 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 the, the you know the the tradition itself, I think that especially around the 19th century, um, and with the uh, you know the order 66 uh, you know situation that I described, you know there has been a regression into into sort of infantile modes of you know of, of behavior. Um, and 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 going back into sort of like survival modes as well of, of existence that you know have completely tainted the way the tradition is looked at and the way the tradition is practiced. Uh, I mean, people nowadays, uh, I mean, the quote unquote religious people are far more puritanical than you know their forefathers ever were. 
like uh, so for example this is a character from uh, the 17th century in Iran Alam al-Majlisi who's this you know this sort of you know pillar of Shi'i orthodoxy and you know I always mention the fact that he used to smoke uh, you know the hookah whilst he was on the <laughs> on the preaching chair right that's awesome and uh, you know uh, because nowadays in Iran there's this whole culture amongst the establishment of not smoking and so and so forth and every time I go there I I you know I make it a point of bringing out my cigarillos and <laughs> wanting to to smoke my cigarillo fantastic and you know I, and then I tell them well you know how do you know why why do you have this I mean I mean I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a habitual smoker. I, I I smoke very occasionally, but you know, if 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 if, if my smoking can you know lead to a, a provocative sort of conversation, you know, all the better. And uh, and I always tell them, like you know, in the 1950s in um, and for example in, in Iraq, uh, women would roll up cigarettes and and smoke them inside inside religious gatherings whilst listening to the to the to the preachers you know uh i mean imagine just imagine yeah. like women in church smoking whilst whilst while the sermon goes on that's that's what used to happen and i'm like you guys have become so freaking stuck up and yeah. you're scaring yeah. everyone yeah. from 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 the tradition because especially because you've adopted the soviet you know you know the soviet style you know aesthetics yeah. And it's completely unappealing. I don't know how you can expect young people to 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 stick with that, you know. Right. right. And uh, so I think it has to do, you know, mostly with 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 uh, you know regressive modes of 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 uh, you know of, of of I would say you know contraction basically, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and you know and. The the key for me because you know I'm living here is how to how to unlock that right yeah yep. and so um, one way I found is that you know I I, um, I I very so you know there's this whole craze about you know Japan now in in the Middle East everyone's fascinated by Japan so I in, you know in, because you know I I, I, I I don't see myself as a preacher, but whenever people ask me advice, I I, I don't um, you know I don't I don't play the whole you know holier than thou you know preacher because first of all I'm you know father I'm, I'm you know very far from perfect, and secondly I know very well that if I you know present something in a way that you know uh, the, the official establishment presents things that it's going to fall on deaf ears. So I. I, I, I present things differently and, and and I usually, you know, what I do is I encourage people to explore explore, you know, lucid dreaming and meditation and to sort of bushwalk their way back into yeah. a knowledge of the tradition. And that seems to work. You know, that seems to that seems to work. And it's amazing when you have, you know, um, these young students who, who who come up to me and say, you know, Professor, um, you know, I didn't tell you this, but the course I had with you, you know, just opened up my eyes and, you know, and as a teacher, of course, it's it's the best award, you know, one can ever have. Absolutely. But it also shows that, you know, it's, um, you know, when 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 things are tackled with 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 a, you know, 
with a, a more or less correct understanding of what we're dealing here. We're dealing here with societies in survival mode. Yeah. And I mean, especially in the Muslim world. In the Western world, I think as you know, we, we're dealing here with 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 a lot of um, with a lot of infantile um, insecurities. You know, the which is one of the reasons why I left the West because I I I knew that no matter how much I would tell people about you know what the what my tradition actually says, people would go back to the default sort of like not without my daughter, Behti Mahmoudi, sort of, you know, scenario, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's unfortunately, you know, and, and when, when fear dominates, it, that's where, you know, um, dialogue basically becomes impossible. And I'm not in the position where I could, you know, start something to demonstrably, um, you know, change change people's minds. Maybe you know later on in, in the future, I may I, I would able be able to do that. At this present moment, I don't feel that I have the, uh, the possibility to, to do that. I think my, my I think my place at the moment is is in this part of the world. But you know, um, to, yeah. let me just interject one thing here, my friend. What what comes to mind over and over in this is really interesting riff of yours is is again it's completely in line of this. Um, a kind of tributary motif or the Dead Sea motif where where the other thing that needs to be influxed uh, in, into these traditions is in fact the, the role of psychology, um, the dangers of spiritual bypassing, because so much of what you're talking about here is, is basically classic shadow work, classic psychopathology. I have to share this from my dear friend, Roger Walsh. You know, he's a MD, PhD, psychiatrist, longtime meditation practitioner, he shares that when he does his meditation instruction, a full 80% of what he hears from his meditation students is absolutely positively psychotherapeutic and psychological in nature. And so this is yeah. another thing that's so incredibly important in this idea of keeping traditions alive is not only cross-pollinating and allowing tributaries from other traditions to flow into this ocean of wisdom, literally Dharma mm -hmm. ocean, but also to, to, again, in the spirit of integral approaches, again, which is why I'm such a fan of this uh, uh, general trajectory, to allow the tributary of, of deep shadow work, psychological work, um, because like, I couldn't agree more with you. You know, I often say around this topic that the nature of the path is not about feeling good. It's about getting real. And so to me, it's more like instead of feeling good, um, you know, instead of feel good, it's real good. And, and what yeah. does real good mean? It means embracing pain. It means going into pain, working with these unwanted shadow elements, because otherwise, if we don't do that, what do we do? We repress them. And then what do we do when we repress them? We project them. And so Absolutely. therefore, we, we plaster the world in our psychopathology, thinking that that country is the bad boy, that country... Yeah. Is the issue when no look in the mirror and take take ownership yeah. of of the projective prowess of your own pathology and how you Absolutely. color the world in your own image? I think this is a colossal oversight in this. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. I mean, what I so whenever I'm asked to actually speak in a mosque or um, you know any sort of religious institution, I so in the introduction you know there's this invocation one one recites and. So after you know invoking God, I, I I send blessings of the Prophet. And normally, what people do is they 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 choose certain titles of the Prophet. And the one I I 
one of the titles I always use is, um, you know, Tabib al-Nufusina, the, the healer of our souls. Hmm. And what I always tell, tell people is like, the prophet did not come to, he was not a jurist. He did not come to basically, he, he was not, he was not a, a Harvard jurist who came here to, to establish constitution. Right. His, one of his main titles is the healer of souls. He came to, you know, heal us from our own sort of, you know, uh, inner diseases, right? You know, greed, um, you know, lust, anger, hate, and so on and so forth, right? And, and that's what he came for. Inner, inner jihad, right? We have to throw that in. I mean, that's the truth. Absolutely. Jihad, so. Absolutely. You know, what's really interesting is that one of the reasons why the Islamic tradition has been sort of hijacked by, you know, these nutcases is that, well, a lot of the nutcases tend, you know, tend to be engineers. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, with, 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 you know, with, with, you know, with the, the arrival of modernity through colonialism, the, 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 the better careers were basically, you know, either you become a doctor or you become an engineer. And the problem is like, and then, so what do you have? What you have is people who have their BAs in engineering and then basically drop out and become clerics. Yeah. And their engineering training has basically trained them to see everything in terms of like, you know, black left, and white, yeah, left yes brain. and no. Left brain. So yeah. I'll give you an example, right? So um, in the 16th century in Istanbul, there was, a, there was a crisis and people were drinking a bit too much alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the beauty, you know, that's the beauty of, uh, of, of the, uh, you know, of these, uh, you know, multi-confessional, um, you know, societies is that, uh, you know, uh, be it in Baghdad or, 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 or Esfahan or, or Istanbul, you had these, you know, um, these important Jewish and, you know, Christian communities who, you know, they would say, thank God, were able to consume wine. So, um, and of course, these, uh, these communities had their own quarters. So the Muslims were, you know, those Muslims were a bit fed up with, you know, of being, you know, uh, good boys would basically sneak into those areas and, and, and just, um, you know, consume alcohol. Um, you know, incidentally, the way it's done in Iran nowadays is that you have the Armenian community, Christian community, who uh, basically has the rights to, you know, consume and, and sell alcohol. And so what happens is that, you know, anyone who has links to the Armenian community, you can just basically, uh, you can ask their, their you know, their, 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 the truck to, you know, pass by your house and deliver some of the best wines and 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 uh, other sort of liquors that you want right uh, and that's you know mildly tolerated um so the 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 jurists of the time the islamic jurists of the time said well we can't just go around basically punishing people because it's it's such a widespread spiritual disease now that you know what what, what are you supposed to do so what they said is that we're going to encourage the practicing of music and we're going to ask the Sufi orders to have a, a, a greater presence in the city because people need to see living embodiments of, uh, of, of, of sainthood. And also because, you know, um, you know, music has this therapeutic effect as well. And, and it has, it's sort of it had a sort of intoxication that, you know, the Islamic law doesn't have a problem with. 
And so that's what they did. They didn't go through this sort of punitive sort of like, oh, let's break into people's houses and like, you know, and then, you know, and and, and punish people. You know, these jurists who, for the most part, were Sufis themselves, saw that they were dealing, we were dealing with a a, a disease of the heart and that this would, that should be dealt like a disease instead of, you know, dealing with it in a purely political sort of way, which is unfortunately what has happened in several countries in the 20th century. They've, uh, and that's, that has mainly got to do with the fact that a lot of the people who are part of the Muslim Brotherhood or um, who are part of the Iranian Revolution were mainly, you know, um, basically engineering nerds who, who uh, you know, who had, Unfortunately, no real understanding of the complexity of uh, Islamic law and uh, of the complexity of, you know, Islamic psychology, that that the, the tradition isn't there to basically give people the idea that, you know, uh, that the ultimate reality is there to punish you or, you know, look for any excuse to send you to internal hellfire, but, you know, that the tradition is there to, to heal you, right? Yeah, and uh, it's it's uh, it's um, you know it's um, it's really tragic how how things have have have, have uh, ended up uh, happening in, in, in especially in the twentieth century, and we're seeing the consequences of it uh, nowadays. When, uh, when, when you when you look in your crystal ball, my friend, are are you optimistic, pessimistic, realistic when you look into the future? You know, obviously, it goes without saying that there's just so many problems in the world, right? But mm. when, you look, when you look at not only the political, the religious extremism, the the literally the idiocracy, the ecological devastation, yeah. anybody with any sensitive nature, um, it's not easy. When you look mm. at it, you know, even within both our traditions, you know, you talk about the fitra, the if I pronounce it properly, the yeah. Um, Islamic analog to Buddha nature and basic goodness. Yeah. Can, do we do we chan- have a snowball's chance in hell? Uh, is there enough of of the basic goodness of the human condition to supersede the idiocracy of the adventitious defilements that obscure it? Fundamentally, how screwed are we? <laughs> oh, we. I mean, we. I think in the short term, we're definitely screwed. Um, so. Uh, there is uh, in the Islamic tradition a concept that is very close to that of the Kali Yuga, right? The yeah. the, the Dark Age, yeah. and a lot of a lot of the great saints of the 20th century have said that we are witnessing that right now, yeah. and that uh, it's going to get a lot worse uh, in the next de- decades before it gets you know better. And we, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to witness, I mean, we're already witnessing, you know, absolutely terrible things, um, you know, everywhere. Um, and and uh, so I think short term, we, we're going to have to deal with a lot of suffering. But I see all of these things as basically the birth pangs of a, of yeah. a, yeah. Of a new age, because um, I, th- I think Rabindranath Tagore, the, the great Indian poet, you know, said it beautifully in his essay on nationalism, which is that, you know, this this race of modernity will have to stop at set, a certain point because, you know, it, it's it's completely incompatible with the, with the realities of our, you know, of our physical of our physical world. We just don't have the resources to, you know, send everyone on the moon. 
Yeah. You know, and at some point, people are going to have, I mean, I hear people talk about, you know, transhumanism and so and so forth. And I'm like, well, sorry, guys, but technology was created for humanity, not the other way around. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I mean, people talk about artificial intelligence and talking about enhancing humans. And I'm like, guys, just look at Wim Hof. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've, so I've been, I've started doing the Wim Hof method. And really? Just, really? Oh yeah, yeah, it's I, amazing, I, so, so to speak. Cool. Amazing, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. I mean, it's just for health reasons, it's it's just amazing. I was, I mean, I I was I was shocked at how positively it impacted um, things. And I think in a person in a person of Wim Hof, we're dealing here with someone who's, you know, a bodhisattva because this is someone who, you know, I don't know if you know his story, but. So his wife committed suicide and and he decided that he was going to find a solution for suffering. And he went on and you know studied or he I mean he he's he studied Sanskrit for God's sake, you know, and went into these different practices. Um and then he developed this method, hmm. and which is basically open to all without any dogma. It's like, look, I just want people to get better. Yeah. And I want them to realize the amazing potential that they have and that they, they, you know, for, and that they can actually heal themselves and that they can boost their immune system and, uh, and, and just have really a, a better quality of life. And I think, and what's really interesting, he didn't do it to cure his depression. Yeah. He did it because, you know, I, I don't want other people to go through what my wife went through. Oh, wow. And so he he went out and you know looked for a, 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 a you know um, you know and I just love his very sort of because you know Luxembourg is not too far away from 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 the Netherlands. I just I just love his very Dutch way of saying these things, right? Like you know, you know, I, I was studying this yoga stuff, but all this esoteric bullshit, you know, I I did not matter for me. You know, what I'm really interested in is like you know how to help people, make you healthy and happy, you know. And, and it's contagious, you know. His, 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 you know, his charisma is absolutely contagious. And you know, uh, the the uh, what were we actually? Oh, we're talking about Wim, Wim Hof. What uh, um, happened before that? We're, well, we were talking about the, the, you know, whether there's hope. Um, you know, yes. Uh, how screwed so, are we? So, so, so I think you know. So when I th when I look at people like him, you know, I I. I so I see that, you know, whilst, so there's a double movement. I think that a great part of humanity is just, you know, just, I don't think is going to make it, to be honest with you, in whatever way, I don't know. Yeah. But it's just not going to, to make it. I mean, the way people, are, you know, are accepting the most abject forms of, of sorry, of slavery is just beyond me. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm seeing this amazing awakening um you know uh, a little bit you know everywhere and um you know there's so there's this app that i use sometimes it's called um insight um uh, insight timer and it has this map so it's 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 an app that you can use to basically you know to to access you know um, you know, recordings on meditation, on yoga. On yeah, I know. Ola can. I know the people who put that uh, that on. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they actually to do some stuff for them. I, I haven't done it yet. Yeah. And what's amazing is that when you look at, so you you always have this map of 
who's using the app at this very moment. Yeah. And it's fascinating, which is like, you know, you have all these people in North America and in Europe and in Russia uh, who are using it. And, you know, this gives me reason for hope. You know, and 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 so I think that you know, short term, I think things are going to get worse. I think that definitely the the beast of modernity, uh, with its different forms, with it capitalism or communism or socialism or any kind of isms, are going to to are going to Run try it. to yeah. you know wreck as as much you know, create as much damage as possible and take as many people uh, you know as many people as they can into into the abyss but there's also the promise of a you know of of a of a of a, of a new age that's going to come and the shi tradition um this is known as the uh, the hidden imam so this mm-hmm. is idea that the prophet had uh so the prophet the prophet had 12 successes starting with his cousin and son-in-law imam ali and that the descendants of um, Ali and Fatima, the, the the daughter of the Prophet, that they would basically they were the um, you know the sort of the Tulku lineage of you know Shiism. The twelfth Imam, so the the Mahdi as we call him, uh, is basically uh, since the um, you know as for the last you know um, twelve hundred years has been in occultation in in hiding. And will come. He will come basically uh, in the eschatology, eschatological times with Jesus yep. to uh, basically, uh, you know, heal this world, right? And so, um, so the inner aspiration of spiritual Shiism has always been to be one of the knights who will be at the service of the Mahdi. And what's really interesting is the traditions say the following, is that when the Mahdi comes back, the overwhelming majority of the people who call themselves Shia will lose the faith and will fight against him. Oh, wow. And that the people who look like they're worshipping stars and the moon and the sun will actually be his followers. No, no kidding. Wow. And and that his, um, you know, that his, um, you know, I mean, it's it's very similar to the whole, uh, you know, uh, uh, cycle of the, you know, the King of Shambhala and Nikola Chakra Tantra, right? Yeah, like hockey kings. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> this idea that the people who will follow him will come from diverse backgrounds. When uh, in the traditions, we're being told that a lot of Christians will follow him, a lot of people from the Eastern traditions will follow him, and that uh, when he establishes this reign of justice on earth he will judge christians by the gospel he will judge the jews by the torah and he will judge the 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 muslims by by the quran meaning that he will judge you know he will reign you know but using every tradition to basically he will respect basically the standards of you know the, the 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 traditions that that do exist so it's not going to be a sort of like you know world islamic empire but rather what's going to happen is that he will give the esoteric understanding of the, all the great traditions and sort of you know reconcile them yeah and so that's you know that's that's what i'm looking forward to um you know hopefully um you know and and definitely you know there's there's short terms you know i i i have a very you know i have this stockwell you know stockwell uh, how do you call it 
uh, I think it's it's not it's not Stockwell syndrome. It's the Stockwell uh, paradigm, right? So you 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 hope for the best in terms of your future. You have a clear idea of what you you you, you what you want to have, what you know, what your ideal situation, what you, what one you know should be, and what you want to achieve. But you're also aware of the the dire realities in which you you live in. So you 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 have to learn to balance that. Yeah. And I think that's you know that's how I see our present situation. We're seeing a lot of we're seeing a lot of um, things coming up to the surface. We, I think we're seeing the uh, the shadow emerging, right, yeah. in a sort of very very real way. Like yep. uh, but I think that's going to be short lived. I think that at some point, you know, I mean, God knows how this is going to take place. But um, beyond that, there's going to be this 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 age where you know humanity will discover its full potential without the use of, you know, uh, Elon Musk's uh, ideas of transhumanism exactly. and uh, with, with uh, you know, with a, with a type of society that um, is actually in harmony with, uh, with the planet in which we live in, right? That we've been, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've recently spoken about the fact that, you know, in the Islamic tradition, every prophet comes with a revealed book. Mm-hmm. And Adam being the first prophet, his revealed book was the cosmos. Oh. You know, uh, the, and he was taught the ways of reading the the divine into, you know, the, the silence of the stars and, you know, the, 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 Symbolic the breeze of the, you know, of the evening. And, you know, so the cosmos is a sacred book. And when we destroy it, yeah. we, we're committing blasphemy. Because and because when we take away the sacredness from from nature, when we commodify the the planet we live in, um, and when we forget that the Earth is an angel, right? Um, we're committing blasphemy. Yeah, suicide. And, and we're committing suicide. <clears throat> More than blasphemy. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I, and and uh, you know, and especially I mean, in the um, in the in the in the, in the Puranas of the Hindu tradition, you always have these episodes where the, uh, you know, Dharti, the earth, goes to goes up to Vaikuntha to to the, the paradise of Vishnu and complains about how humanity is oppressing her. It's like these stupid humans are bothering me. Right. Can you come down and you know clean yeah. clean up the mess? And still, you know, the Lord Vishnu comes in his different avatars and you know. And uh, and yes, there's also in, in in the in the in the Hindu tradition we have this notion of the Kalki Avatara, right? The um, the uh, the the one who at the end of times will uh, you know cleanse the earth of the uh, of the oppressors. So I think yes, I think that um, while we do have reasons to worry, uh, I think in, in in the short term, and the short term could be. A decade could be a year, could be a, a century. I don't know, but um, you know, um, hopefully shorter though. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but uh, you know, in in the long term, there's this, there's this, there's this age when in in which we will finally be able to realize our our our, our, our true potential, and uh, and the, the the in the Shi'i traditions, um, you know, the uh, the texts tell us about about how we will. How the veils of ignorance will be lifted, and we will see reality how it is, and we will realize our own, you know, celestial potential, and 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 you know, 
live these uh, these lives where we can finally, you know, accomplish ourselves spiritually. Because at the end of the day, these systems of oppression that are there, um, we're not talking here about, you know, people who just uh, do this out of um, sheer desire to have more money. I think it's definitely behind the scenes, at, at least spiritually speaking, I think there are these dark forces that, Try to enslave humanity um, in order for us not to, you know, not to use up, you know, spiritual potential. So when we have to worry about paying mortgages and feeding our kids and and worrying about elections and this and this and that, and worrying about you know um, all kinds of really, you know, silly issues, um, you know, we 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 lose. We lose the time to be able to to practice and and develop our spiritual potential. I mean, one of the I mean, you probably know this better than than anyone else. I mean, you know, one of the questions that always comes up to people who teach meditation is like, you know, how do I combine the practice of meditation with the lifestyle that you know we have that you know we 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 have nowadays, right? And and I think it's not an innocent question. I think it has to do with the fact that the people who organize the the the, the world in, in in the way it is nowadays know fully well what they're doing. Um, you know, if if you if we look at you know just a study of you know the evolution of sleep, right? Uh, people did not sleep like the way we sleep nowadays. Right. You know, two hundred years ago. Polyphasic. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. So people used to sleep twice a day. Yeah. They have these like, you know, um, so, 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 so people would sleep at the beginning of the night and then the middle of the night, they would just yeah. basically wake up. And that's why, you know, great cities like Paris were alive during the night because people would, would, would divide their sleep into two cycles. Right. Which I also, I also think, um, you know, made probably lucid dreaming and dream yoga much easier. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely, um, and and I think um, and I think that's also why I think um, you know the, the 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 text that I'm I'm looking in um, in terms of um, the practice of dream work in Islamic tradition. They say that in the end times, um, dreaming will be one of the only ways of actually acquiring spiritual knowledge. Wow. and that despite of the degeneracy around us. dreams will be far more intense than what they would have been you know before because it's going to be this this way through which the divine is going to you know uh communicate with us because you know we, we're you know we all trapped in a net so to speak you know that the be it, you know the internet or all kinds of mean the, the surveillance of um the surveillance of the state and the corporations over people is is such that we really live in a in a state of uh, virtual slavery, yeah. and I, you know, and, and this is why in in the tradition I'm, you know, I'm part of, like, the dream work is seen as the practically the only way of escaping that because it's the, uh, you know, it's the the dark net of dark net, so to speak, where you 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 know you're completely undetected by um, by all these other forces that try to enslave us, and that's where I think you know the the, the awakening. Will, will 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 come up and what i really like i mean i've never got got in touch with him but i really love the work that robert wagoner is doing mm -hmm. because 
you know, but first of all, the fact that he's he's actually literally bushwalked his way into dream yoga. Exactly, exactly. Which yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, very. Yeah, I mean, some of his insights are unbelievably Buddhist. I mean, oh, like, I, well, you know, it's just, like, just you know, just just uh, you know, and and uh, and so the community that he's built and and you know and uh, 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 you know sharing all of this stuff and. Um, and I, I see a lot of hope in that because these are people who are, you know, well-meaning, who, you know, I think have most of them have pure intentions, and they're experimenting and they're they're finding out amazing things like, you know, how how you know lucid dreaming can heal people, for example, of you know physical ailments and stuff. But also, I mean, what was was quite amazing is that you know this this is someone who has no knowledge of Sufism, no knowledge of Tibetan Buddhism. And then just out of pure intuition, you're like, you know, oh, okay, I want to explore the nature of reality. Yeah, and, good. you know, yeah. so, you know, things like that yeah. definitely give me, give me hope. And the fact that this is happening now, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's the synchronicity that is happening right now that I think is, is fascinating. And the good thing is, you know, we're, we're all now able to get in touch with one, with one another and the more the merrier. And I think that what is really meant to happen is that, you know, people from all these different traditions who have, you know, have this intention of like, you know, embodying this, the spirit of like, you know, compassion are, are coming together, you know, and, and that's what's, you know, what's really fascinating. And, and I think it's no accident that you know you and i and father tisa and other people are having these conversations now uh, which we would not have had 200 years ago absolutely you know? and it's a it's a it's a wonderful way for us to speaking of es eschatology it's a wonderful way for us to start to wrap up our conversation this is as yes. such an incredibly rich um display of your knowledge your wisdom your compassion my dear friend and so is we we absolutely we have to do this again there's so much here but as we start to close, um, tell us a little bit about uh, before we we do say um, good night because I know it's evening and you're mm -hmm. yeah. tell us a little bit about this terribly exciting news that you've been sharing with me about um, the invitation from Pakistan around. Pakistan. Oh yes, and, and, and then so we'll it up. yes, so so without basically going into much in too much detail, there are people at the very top of um, you know uh, of the, the leadership in Pakistan who want to uh, basically, um, you know, do, do justice to Pakistan's um, Buddhist heritage. And so um, there's this idea of um, recreating the ancient university of uh, Taxila. And so uh, uh, basically created, create, make it a platform of dialogue uh, between the different civilizations, you know, of the Silk Road, right? Yeah. So Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, Christianity, Taoism, and so on and so forth, but also create a, a, um, a teaching environment that will create, um, that will teach people, you know, with the philosophy of what we call in Sufism, the insan kamil, the complete human being. So students would, so this is an Islamic country, huh? Uh, students be, of course, required to follow, you know, the courses that anyone else in most universities take, but they would also be required to basically, you know, um, 
like actually everyone at the university would be required to, you know, do half an hour of, you know, meditation mm. and also take on martial arts and, and some form of, you know, art, be it calligraphy or painting and so on and so forth. Uh, it's really about changing um, the idea of education, which up until now has been all about imitating the, the, the Western idea of, you know, utilitarian education and to go back to a spiritual um, way of looking at, at, at education, whilst at the same time, you know, making sure that it enables these people to, um, you know, have jobs. But also with the idea of creating a society that's more compassionate and that is more in tune with the spiritual nature of the authentic Islamic tradition. And what this would also entail would be the um, the, the creation of a of a sort of interfaith monument that would house the um, the relics of the Buddha that are basically in in Pakistan because the Takshila had this stupa. Um, the Dharma Rajika Stupa, and so the idea would be to, um, you know, with this university to create a a a, a sort of interfaith monument that um, would basically where Buddhists and Muslims, because a lot of you know a lot of Muslims do consider the Buddha to be a prophet as well. So to you know where this monument would basically house the uh, the the those those you know those those that part of the ashes of the Buddha that were um, you know kept in Taxila. Sorry, this is my cat. And um, basically um, invites, um, you know, Buddhists from all over the world to also, you know, come and, and visit and, you know, do pilgrimage. And also uh, to honor, um, you know, the great son of, uh, you know, uh, Odiana, which is, you know, uh, in the present day Swat Valley in Pakistan, who's none else than, uh, you know, Guru Rinpoche Padmasambhava, who, you know, is the you know, the founding father, so to speak, of, of Tibetan Buddhism. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Padmasambhava was actually born in present-day Pakistan. Right. And the beautiful thing is that um, now that the, the extremism and the militancy has basically uh, stopped, um, there's a real desire uh, amongst the people of Pakistan to acknowledge their, the Buddhist heritage of the country and to make it part of the country's identity, and to uh, and so the, what's really interesting the, in the last in the last ten years, there's been a great deal of efforts to renovate Hindu temples and Sikh temples, and it's not only Hindus and Sikhs who visit them. A lot of Muslim families go there as well, and uh, you know take their kids along for a picnic, and you know the country is realizing that. You know, it's possible to be a good Muslim, uh, a good Orthodox Muslim, while at the same time acknowledging that that you know all these other traditions uh, are part of you know the national identity of Pakistan, and there's no problem actually in honoring them, right? Yeah. So there's a great hope that um, this project. So it's it's the project is still in its infancy. Um, I do think that um, you know I, I do think that it will get a uh, you know an approval from 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 the government because uh, some of the people who are uh, close to the uh, the highest authorities in the country are, are part of this uh, of elaborating this project and once it's done uh, you know it it'd be absolutely exciting because uh, on the one hand you'd have this university that would create this sort of new uh, leadership with you know this sort of 
education that has that that not that not not only is rooted in in traditional um you know spiritual islam but also would you know students would have to also take courses in buddhism and confucianism and whatever other tradition they want to study um but also this this you know the the what would will be exciting will be the return of of you know um buddhist pilgrims to 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 the country you know and yeah. um not just to visit ruins but you know hopefully we can have um you know different schools of buddhism establish uh, retreat centers and 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 sanghas there um and um you know hopefully it will have a a positive effect on the country but the three years that i've lived in pakistan um i can definitely vouch for the fact that there's a real genuine desire uh, on the part of the majority of people to uh, basically do away with the nightmare of the militancy that you know they've known you know in for the last few decades and to to start a new page in, in the history and it'd be exciting you know to have you know people like you or uh, you know uh yeah, or, or, or alan wallace and yeah. or even you know um chris wallace you know um come along and 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 teach and and you know, have workshops and retreats uh especially in the, the beautiful northern regions of pakistan that the some of the most beautiful you know parts of the himalayas are in pakistan oh, i've been there yeah so, in, in gilgit and and up in the hunza yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's stunning yeah. it's stunning and, yeah. and and the beautiful thing about it it's 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 been sort of you know it's been free of you know all of the negative aspects of tourism that you know unfortunately um have have uh, devastated some of the some of the 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 these parts that you know that exist in india right yeah so i think um you know i, I think there's a great potential there and uh, hopefully with uh, you know more exposure uh this project will 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 be a, a success i'm you know i'm a big believer in this project and um you know hopefully in you know um hopefully in five years time will you and i will meet you know, there and teach lucid dreaming together wouldn't that be great huh that would be fantastic but Probably. also you know uh, be there at the opening ceremony where you oh, know the, oh the, the ashes of you know lord buddha with uh you know peace be upon him will uh you know as we say will will be enshrined in that um in that monument where and and show the world that you know people of different traditions uh can you know can share a sacred space you know it's completely yeah. possible i mean what and what a beautiful way to end because it's 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 really it, it, this sort of thing in fact in the kali yuga um shows that there is in fact light and and we have the opportunity to look forward just <clears throat> to these kind of seed oh. syllables as they come to fruition so my dear friend i cannot tell you how much i appreciate your time i always learn so much in our conversations we have to make this an ongoing episode. Um, we'll bring it back again. <laughs> yes, yes. No, there's so much here. Um, yeah. so things that we, we can still unpack. But really, uh, on behalf of our community, we we wish you all the best. In, in your Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I've been there. It's an amazingly powerful place. Um, yeah. I hope, in fact, that we can meet there. But between now and then, <clears throat> take care of yourself. And let you us too, you too. let us meet again um, in this community and maybe even the dream world itself. And so, yes. um, deep bow of gratitude, my friend, and and let's Thank stay close touch and do it again. Well, stay blessed and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas. 
Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. And really a deep, deep warm thanks to Yusuf for taking the time out of his amazing schedule and reaching out to us all the way from Baghdad. What a wonderful human being with such a great heart. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out all the other offerings at Nightclub. Lots happening right now. See you next time. And until then, pleasant lucid dreams. <laughs>